Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's one word for it. Uh, honestly, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, maybe you've had me before as a teacher. Uh, how many have had me as a teacher before? Okay, good. So, by the grace of God, we'll really have an encounter with the Lord this semester. That's my prayer, that not only would you learn the subject of the general epistles, but that you would find God in the pages and that you and I would grow together. So, um, I'm the kind of teacher that's very interactive. I'll call on you, and uh, there'll be a lot of discussion, because I believe that's a great way to learn, and uh, that will go towards your grade. I also like, I also like quizzes, little surprise quizzes, and essays, because um, anybody can memorize information. But I like to hear about your heart, okay? I like to hear what God's doing in your heart. So whenever you come across a quiz, a test, um, or an essay, uh, what I really want is what God has ministered to you in the context of class, okay? Does that make sense? So the context in class is what I want you to digest and uh, repeat, or not necessarily repeat, but share with me. So I know what you're getting, what you're absorbing, okay? Make sense? All right. How are you? Do we need to do any jumping jacks? You guys all right? You fresh? You are? Okay, great. All right. So let's just take a minute. Let's pray. And uh, we'll go through the syllabus together, and we'll jump right into the general epistles. Did everyone have a good day today? Oh, that was very convincing. <laughs> okay. All right. Precious Father, thank you. Thank you, God. We can open the Bible. There's an open heaven. There's an open hand. Just uh, speak to us tonight. Thank you, Lord. We don't want to receive this as just information, but we want this to be something that's alive, personal. And uh, just show us your reality of, of these amazing books that we're going to talk about this semester. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So just a couple of things. So like I said earlier, Sandon's going to be like my right arm here. And he's going to be responsible for attendance. And I think there's a sheet going around tonight until we can get college office up and running on our end. Um, how many have registered? How many are here just checking out the class? Oh, good. All right. So um, let's look at the syllabus together. So all these classes, I'm going to, in times past, I've usually put together a website with all the notes. I'm not going to do that this year. It's very labor intensive. Uh, but instead, I'll be recording all the classes. So if you ever want to get a, just an audio back, maybe you missed something, you want to get with a student, kind of go over something, uh, innerrevolution.us is a great um, link for you to catch the whole class uh, in by audio, okay? So, um, again, the course is general epistles. We're going to be tackling First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John, Jude. And did I forget? Yeah, there's James right there, and James, okay? So we're going to walk through these epistles and there's a lot of practical things we're going to be talking about that God ministered to 
Tonight we're going to talk about uh, James in particular, the oldest book in the New Testament. And we're going to walk through some of the principles and uh, the Holy Spirit will make this very applicable for you. Okay. Let me ask you a question. How many are here are freshmen? Okay. Sophomore? Sophomore, second year? Third year, junior? Any seniors? Oh, good. All right, very good. All right. So, fortunately, we don't miss any classes due to holidays, as far as I know, and the class schedule for the whole semester. So, we're going to be teaching outside of the review and the exam uh, 14 classes, okay? So, this syllabi is a plan. Will it change? Probably. <laughs> but we're going to stay true to the nature of it. And uh, just notice. Uh, if you have any questions, like tonight's the intro. And then the source of our ministry is the theme of the class tonight. So we're going to really bring that out. And if you look at the far right column, you see the homework. Do you see that? Now, I just, there's a, uh, an asterisk at, this, at the far end of that um, box. You see that? DNC, which means do next class. So if you see that, for instance, I'm not giving you homework tonight, but I'll be issuing the homework next class, and it'll be due the third class. Does that make sense? You see that? Because sometimes there's confusion uh, on homework assignments. So it'll be the second class that we issue the essay, the three paragraphs typed. Let's all say that beautiful word together, typed. Okay? Not handwritten. Let's just, I pledge not to handwrite assignments, okay? <laughs> um, so we just want to have access to something online, or you can email me the information. Yes, Sandy. Oh, all right. So, for instance, we're going to be... Uh, Issuing that the second class at the end of the second class, where you write three paragraph paragraphs typed that talk about the context. Josh, you're in this class. Yes, sir. Oh my goodness, that is good. All right, that's good. I just registered for it yesterday. Really? Oh, I that... thought I had signed up for it, so I got it added. Oh man, that's just good. All right, we got a good group of students here. I'm really thrilled to have you. All right, so. So let's say you miss an assignment, okay? Let's say that you forget the essay or for whatever reason you forget to do the quiz, which, is our, which are take-home quizzes, because I really want to spend the time in the class teaching. And Sand and I will both be initiating a conversational type of dialogue questions so that we're moving around. I'm not just lecturing, because I know that can get old very fast. Um, let's say you miss an assignment, okay? So I'm going to give you one week, which is the equivalent of one class, to get that assignment to me. And it will, it, you know, if it's late a week, it'll be docked a grade. So if you got an A, you'd get a B. And then I wouldn't take it beyond a week late, okay? Does that make sense? So you have a week, and I, I hope you don't, take advantage of this. <laughs> uh, I used to do it a lot longer, um, but I, I feel like it's a disservice to you 
Um, but if you miss an assignment, just come talk to me, and I'll give you a week to from when the assignment was due to complete it. Make sense? All right. Any questions so far? Okay. So required, required reading will be that you read each of these books. Uh, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. Um, that is an honor, an honor system where it'll be on your uh, final. <clears throat> that says a simple question. Did you read these books? <clears throat> that is 25% of your grade. I really believe that if you're reading this material and thinking about it, and when you hear it in class, it'll become something, again, more familiar to you, okay? Because I want you, and I, myself included, to learn uh, the depth of these books, okay? It'll be impossible for me to teach you everything in these books, okay? In general epistles, Hebrews was part of this. And um, that, thankfully, has its own class. That's my, my favorite book in the New Testament, Hebrews. And uh, it deserves its own class. So we've actually have more time to go through these other books. Okay, so look at your requirements. Your grade will be determined by quizzes, homeworks, reading, and your final exam. Okay? Notice there's no midterm. You notice that? So um, the reason why is because I give small quizzes. I, I believe that if you keep boom, 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 keep pounding it in the right sense, that it becomes more fresh rather than a monster test where all your blood goes to your brain, and then after you're done with the test, you forget everything. Okay? I believe in repetition. When we were in the Ukraine, this is a, a style I've adopted that um, I would rather do small increments that causes you to stir up what you're hearing rather than memorizing information that uh, is easily forgotten. Okay? That's proven to be effective. Uh, and again, your grading system is defined in the handbook. Does anyone get a handbook? We'd still give those out, by the way. Did I hear that you can wear shorts in school now? Is that right? No. Okay. <laughs> Santa's like, no way. Okay. I was glad. All right. But you can wear jeans, though, right? Okay. Any questions so far? You're a quiet bunch tonight. You all right? Yes, Nupu. Yes. Uh, yes, so do you have, um, you have the asterisk on the, at the end of that statement, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's just saying I issue it then and it's due in the next one. DNC means due next class. So, for instance, if I give it on the second class, it'll, I'll receive it on the third class. Okay? All right, good. Awesome. Any other questions? Simple, yes. Take home quiz. So we will have a, uh, a paper, a typed out paper with, with questions that will reflect the last three classes. And you can take that home and fill it out. Now, I am pretty lenient as far as using your notes. Okay. So more importantly is I want you to 
re have it rep rehearsed and repeated in your heart. So, um, you know, I'll let you use your notes. All right. So, again, take-home quizzes. The only time you won't be able to use your notes is, uh, well, actually finals, we can do that as well. But um, we want you to use your Bible and your notes. All right. Good. All right. Anybody else? All right. Good. We should get rolling, huh? So let's turn to the book of James together. <clears throat> Just know that Sand and I are available to you. Uh, our email is there, as you can tell from the syllabi. Uh, I can even give you my telephone number if you need it. Uh, our heart is to be available to you as much as you want, because we're not just going to lecture and then forget about you all week. Uh, we'll be praying for you. We are accessible to you. If you want to sit and talk about the, the material, I'd love that. Sanon, Sanon, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I think that's his heart too. Uh, our idea is to make sure that you connect not only with the subject, but with the author of what we're talking about, okay? And that's Jesus Christ, so. All right, let's turn to James chapter one. So Lord, again, we commit these, this next few minutes to you, asking for your, your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay. All right. Okay, so... We're talking about the source of ministry. So, again, when you look at the book of James, there's a lot of criticism that happens with the book of James. Um, but really, uh, you know, the author here is showing that the source of our ministry is really our relationship with God. That is the source of our ministry. And the idea here that I want to start at the very get-go is... We have God, we have us, and our ministry is to God, and the overflow is to man. Okay? So this simple yet profound illustration here is really the dynamic of ministry. Because all through the book of James, which is known as the New Testament proverb, a lot of uh, just like the Old Testament has Proverbs, James is known as the New Testament proverb. And this, this particular book of James is very uh, practical. And we're going we're gonna to learn a lot of tools where our faith is lived out. Okay? And a lot of criticism happens in the book of James because people, thinks, people think that there's a lot of works. There's a works orientation here. Okay, And we know that in James chapter 2 where faith without works is dead. And that is a beautiful statement in context that um, he often refers to as being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And this can only happen as we have a ministry to God. When I say a ministry to God, what are some things that come to your mind? Like you and I ministering to God. Just real quick, what are some things? Okay, having a secret place. Okay. Ministry to God. What else? 
Devotion, prayer, good. Worship, good. Okay. Being a hearer, okay, and then a doer, good. Jeff. Okay. Okay, good. What are we saying here? What, anybody else? These are all right. Any, can you think of anything else? All right. We are living, living for the audience of one. Okay? Which means that you and I are walking before God first. Okay? You and I are worshiping. You and I are reading. You and I are meditating. You and I are learning. You and I have a secret place where you and God meet. Okay? Then the overflow or the action of that becomes action. Okay? It becomes something tangible. Okay? We know the statement, how can we love someone if we've not yet received love? Okay? We can only love to the measure that we've received love. The principle of we possess, therefore, we have something to give, okay? This might seem uh, elementary, but if it goes this way, if it just becomes man that's active, doing the work of God without the relationship with God, what happens? What happens if we miss our relationship with God? What happens to our work? What happens to it? Corrupted, yeah. Did you say corrupted? Okay. What else? Explain. Striving, that's a good word. We begin to strive. Good. What else? <laughs> we get burned out. Yes. If our work doesn't have a relationship attached to it, then it's simply work. It's tasks. It's duty, and we're going to read. We're going to look tonight at this word, religion. That is a big word in this first chapter. Okay. Now we all understand. Then when we try, when we're working before people, to save face, to be accepted, but when we do it before God. The work becomes effortless, it becomes enjoyable, and it becomes effective, okay? Effortless, enjoyable, and effective, okay? The three E's, all right? So isn't that good? Oh, sorry, I like that. Effortless, it just came to me. Enjoyable. And who knows the last one? Effective. Good. Good. I got hieroglyphics there for writing. I'm sorry. Someone said I should have been a doctor. <laughs> I can write great like a doctor. Okay. All right, James chapter 1. Okay, let's just dive into this. It dives right into, well, let me first say a couple things. So James is all about faith for living. Faith for living. Acting out your faith. Living out your faith loudly. 
right? So when we look at this relationship, our personal walk with God, our faith becomes more than behavior. It becomes a lifestyle. Right? It's not just something I put on on Sunday morning or when I'm with the people of God. No, it's a lifestyle. It's a progression where we're growing, learning, and, and being loved by God. So the author of James, <clears throat> okay, is uh, James the Just, who is thought to be the brother of Christ, Jesus Christ. And we see that in Matthew 13, 55, and Mark 6, 3. Very interestingly about James the Just, he becomes the head of the Jerusalem church. And in Galatians 2.9, which is a great verse, he is called the pillar of the church. Okay? So James, he is really a man of renown. He's a man of faith. And you're going to learn that he's super practical, right? He lives out his faith loudly. Or I love saying this, he walks out his faith, which means he's not all talk. He's a, he's a walking man. He is not all talk, but he's action. That's a big word for the book of James. We're going to see that, this word action. How many people like action? Right? Let your feet do the talking, right? Uh, one thing I have adopted in my life early on, and I try to do it as much as possible, is I don't talk a lot about a lot of things, but I let my feet, I let my actions, I let my uh, decisions do the talking, right? Because you've met people, right, that do a lot of talking, nothing happens, right? Happens a lot, doesn't it? Happens a lot in Christianity, right? So, James is saying this is a book of action. Now, that's good if we're learning Christ and he is producing the action. That's great. If it's me producing the action, if it's me or you fueling the action, it's a, it's a, a short amount of time before we just set it striving, weariness, and, of course, discouragement. All right, so the date of this book is AD 45. And it's, uh, it's known as the oldest book in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, I like that. And so, it was before the first council of Jerusalem. And understand that James was martyred in AD 62. Okay? So, these are some interesting factoids here. So, he was a, he was a man that not only talked it, but walked it. And eventually uh, was taken out. Okay. All right. So let's read a couple verses here. Um, so immediately he is going into obstacles and resistance. But what an amazing perspective that we're going to learn in the book of James, which is all about maturity. In the next class, I'm going to give you a handout that compares the process of maturity. Okay. Why do we have difficulties? Why is there trouble, 
challenge. It's so that we grow. Okay? So that we grow. Now, all of us love a latte on a beautiful sunny day, right? But nothing really happens in, on those days, maybe. But in difficulty, our faith is proven. In difficulty, we know and discover what we believe. In difficulty, we really see a faithful God. Amen? How many have had difficulties in your life and you've seen the faithfulness of God? Anybody? It's a beautiful thing. God is absolutely faithful. Absolutely faithful. Okay. My brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And that's an amazing statement right there. You can actually have access to God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given unto him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed into the wind. For let, not, uh, for let not that the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. All right. So I want to talk about trials for a minute. So when we consider difficulties in our lives, what, what is the difference uh, between trials and temptations? We're going to see that in a few verses. Yeah. Good. Okay. Trials are from God, or they're allowed by God, and temptations are something initiated from the devil. Good. What else do we see? Count it all joy. That, that's like, wait a minute. Like, you're supposed to be happy about it. Happy about trials? No. We're happy about what trials produce. Okay? Right? Acts 5.14. Let's look at that together. Who wants to read Acts 5.14? Someone grab that for me. And I want to read that. Count it all joy. Now, I don't know about you. We can be in certain circumstances that are momentous. They actually test you on every side. Maybe it's a fiery trial. And sometimes we know this with John, who when he, when he was in prison, he actually doubted that Jesus was the Christ. Is doubt bad? Yes or no? Is doubt bad? How many think, yes, doubt is bad? Okay. How many think doubt is good? Okay, you didn't, no. <laughs> let me say it a different way. Doubt is not bad. As long as it leads you, your questions lead you back to God. Okay? If your doubt leads you away from God, then that is the wrong kind of doubt. It's okay to doubt as long as you and I are learning and seeking the answers from God. Okay. All right. So Acts 5.14, count it all joy when various, multiple, Unexpected trials come into your life. What's who's has Acts five fourteen? Yes, uh, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. 
that the verse I wanted? Hmm. All right. Let's look at that again here. Dun, 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 dun. All right, that is not the verse I want, even though that's a good verse. All right. The verse I'm thinking about is when the disciples got beaten, they counted it all joy that they were scourged or they were chastised for the faith. Who wants to find that verse? I thought it was Acts 5. Yes, thank you. That's it. All right, Josh, go ahead. Read that for me, please. Okay, excellent. Very good. Uh, and one thing in daily, look at 42, in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So, one thing that happened with various trials is they did not stop. They rejoiced and continued. Notice that. All right, so what's the purpose? What is the purpose of a trial in a believer's life? Okay, there's a couple things I'd like to show you from that. So, number one, uh, trials show us what source we are living in. Okay? Trials show us what we have and what we need, where we're living from, and what we're fellowshipping with, for sure. Okay? So if it's sourced in me or you, there'll be great turbulence, right? If it's sourced in the work of God, we see this beautiful word, patience. God will give patience. And he is instructing us here in James chapter 1 to let patience have its perfect work. Now, that is, that's an awesome statement because we typically want to rush through the trial. We want to rush, like, Lord, let's get her done. Let's get this thing over with. But our trials will last as long as the lesson that we're supposed to learn. Okay? That's how long trials typically last. They will last based on the lesson that God has for us to learn. Because none of us have patience, right? So don't be, uh, don't be discouraged there. God is adding in Romans chapter 5. This is a good verse. Romans chapter 5 is a great list. 4 and 5. Chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. God is adding something to you and I that we do not have. So when you enter into turbulence, into, into trials, into things you cannot control, God is saying, I'm adding something to your life 
that you do not have, that you desperately need for your walk. Okay? So, number one, trials, tests, our source. Okay, what source are we living from? <clears throat> number two, they prove. So, it's source. It proves what we believe. Okay? Like, this, I've always amazed at how, through a trial, God is making something personal in your life. Now, I can believe something because someone else believes it, but through a trial, it becomes personal as we go positive to God. Okay? So, for instance, you could be on a boat. It's a beautiful sunny day. You look at the life preservers. You look at the lifeboats. You say, oh, those are nice. Not a cloud in the sky. It's an awesome day. But when the storm happens, right, when the boat starts shaking and when things start, waves start crashing, those boats, we, <laughs> we no longer appreciate them. They are now a critical uh, lifeline for us, okay? So in trials, God is saying, I'm proving what you know. Now, this is the beautiful thing about what we know. <laughs> We're always learning it again, amen? We never arrive. We never enter into full knowledge. Okay? Make sense? So, um, so let's look at this here. Uh, so number one, it proves our source. It proves our faith. And it teaches us to not just be professors, but possessors. To possess, which means not only is it words, but now it's action. It's not only just a theory, but it's an actual lifestyle. Like I was talking with a brother today, and they were saying uh, he was in Boston, the Boston area, and he just said how he is looking for a church and how few people evangelize. And God has taught him over the years the importance of evangelism, right? So he is out there ministering and sees the need. And he's not just professing, I just got to do this, I got to do this, and not following through, but he's actually possessing it. It's actually not just a word in his heart, but it's actually his word has, has motion, it has action, 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 action. So James is all about action. Amen? Any questions so far? Are we good? This makes sense? So talk back to me. What, what, are, what are some things that we see through trials? Talk back to me for a few minutes. As you're turning to 2 Timothy 3.16. Trials. Do we need them? We do. Job was a worshiper. right? I mean, he was a righteous man. But at the end of Job, he was a worshiper. Right? What are the three things we see in trials? In what source do we live, right? Are we panicking? Are we in fear? Are we losing our minds? I mean, there's a that's one of the stages, maybe, as we adjust to the spirit. <laughs> okay. What's another thing we see in, in trials? What do we believe? What do we actually believe? Right? Okay. See, it's easy to kind of 
say say it in front of people, but and then we kind of disappear when the rubber meets the road. But we actually have a conviction. We actually have conviction added to our life. This, what's the word conviction mean? Anybody? When you hear that word conviction, what's a, what, how would you define that word? Convictions. Obedience? Okay. Close. Yes, but there's a little bit more. Convictions. Having the same mind with God. Okay. Better. Having the same mind with God. Or we could say settled truth. Truth that if we're asked about it, we don't have to think about it. It's something we know and and it's something we act upon without question. Convictions, right? Convictions. God adds those in the trial. And what's the third thing that he adds? We pos- Good. Not just theory, it becomes an action. Excellent. Okay? I learn to forgive. I learn to believe the best about my neighbor. I learn to give by faith. I learn to, uh, again, open the word with a heart that's ready to hear. All right, let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16. We see a great verse here. So, are we excited about the trial? No. But we're excited about what the trial produces. Because in the trial, we are getting a hold of God. And then God is producing the action to and, and making the ministry. Okay? We don't, look, we don't look to people to be our Savior. We look to God, and then he uses people in his plan. Right? All right, who is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? Uh, yeah, Nupu, go ahead. Yes, please. All scripture is used out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good thing. Okay, good. C17, do you see that word? Fully equipped or fully furnished. So God is working in and adding something to your life that we either need developed or we need added totally to our life. Okay. So you as ministers of the gospel in whatever capacity, if that's with children, if that's ministering like, like Brandon with athletes or maybe you're ministering in your churches, God says, I have to add to you what you need, not for yourself, but for other people that are seeking to know God. Isn't that good? So whenever you go through difficulties, remember, you're not suffering for yourself, but you're suffering in that sense of the word learning under duress. You're learning for other people. Okay? Now, this is easy to teach. Like we talk about trials as though it's not a big deal. But it's a big deal. Right? It's a big deal. (laughs) Like I learn, okay, God, uh, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. You know, we get real honest with God. In Hebrews 10.22, we're like really honest with God. Because God, in Hebrews 4.13, he sees it all. And he says, you know what? You can't fake it. I see it all. So the most amazing thing to do in a trial is to be honest with God, honest with yourself, and then receive grace to say, Lord, 
I need you. I am not a patient person. I'm not a loving person. I'm not a forgiving person. Newsflash, all of us are in that same boat. But as he is increasing in our life, we are decreasing. Isn't that good? So he's like, count it all joy. Count it all joy. All right. Amen? All right. So let's go back here. So we ask God for wisdom. You see that in verse 5? So sometimes what happens is we, in in a trial, we can get really quiet. We can kind of become an island unto ourselves. We can kind of shut down. You ever have that happen? Maybe a difficulty? And all of a sudden you kind of, or I can suffer alone and get real quiet. Well, that's good if we're quiet before God and prayerful. But God is saying, don't let the devil close your mouth. Right? Start talking to me. Ask me for wisdom. You know what's interesting about wisdom? I'm running out of space here. Look at, look at this about wisdom. Wisdom, as we look through Proverbs, we see that it's super knowledge or the application of knowledge. And what wisdom does is it goes to the end of the matter, right? And it gives us wisdom on how to function in the moment. Does that make sense? So we can have knowledge, which means we can know about the situation. We can describe how bad it is. We can tell you how bad it is, right? But wisdom is the application or special uh, knowledge about what the consequences is and what God is doing in our life. So, for instance, let's say someone, um, they were diagnosed with a disease. Like I think of Josh Goody, right? This young boy. It's really a miracle, isn't it? It's really a miracle. How many visited him in the hospital? I'm just curious. Or how many people know about the situation? All of us, right? Your prayers were like puzzle pieces. Uh, I love how Sandrine said this. Each prayer was like a puzzle piece. It just intricately fit into the big picture. Because he, he was in the hospital for six or seven weeks. And literally, there was a blockage that needed surgery. And it looked impossible, right? But Sandrine had wisdom from God. Let's keep praying. Let's keep believing. Let's keep trusting. Let's believe this, that God is working. She had wisdom of what God could do. And then she believed it in the moment. And we see the action of it. She had wisdom. Wisdom, it like, it's, it like time warped forward to the end. It saw the end. Time warped back to the present. And there was faith. Isn't that good? So this young boy, uh, and literally, if, if any of you understand how the colon works, it really is a sensitive part of your, the whole system. It is really a miracle. Right, so it's yes, it's the application of knowledge, but really it's the fast forwarding and saying, This is what God is going to do, this is what God can do, and this is what God will do. Okay, all right, we're going to break here in a few minutes. Any questions so far? How many have ever asked for wisdom? All of us, right? Like, we don't know what to do, don't have a clue, actually. And again, this goes back to my profound design here. Our relationship with God, right? It's fueled by his faith. 
In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's the faith of the Son of God who loved us. Right? It's a it's a Galatians 5, 6. It's a love, it's a faith that's motivated by love. Isn't that good? So you're not trying to produce this faith. You're receiving this faith. It creates the action of it, and it gives us wisdom for the moment. You know, I don't know about you. It, it is such a, it's such a demonic day, isn't it? Um, I, I have never been. <laughs> it's so interesting. On the road the last week, I've been cursed out several times. And I'm, I'm usually a pretty good driver, but uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the demons, I was in a store the other day, I cursed right out, the guy right in my face cursing me. I was like, oh my gosh, like, get behind me, Satan. Um, anyway, the manifestation, we need such wisdom for our days, right? Second Timothy 3, these are dangerous days. The devil is really out of control. All right. All right, let's let's fast forward here for a minute. Um, oh my gosh, there's so much here. Uh, let's look here at verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for he will be approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Okay, Our next class, our next half, I want to go into the anatomy of a temptation uh, that will really help us understand uh, what we've said before. Trials test and prove temptation is designed to take us away from from abiding in Christ, okay? So I want to spend some time with that in a moment. All right, so any questions so far on this? Any questions on this so far? What What are we saying? What are we saying, Alyssa or Nick or Patrick? What are we saying here, Vanessa? I want to target this awesome group of people over here. Tim, what are we saying or what did we say here? What did you get out of it? Any of you? Yes, Alyssa. From the start. Anything? Okay. Very good. Let's say we recognize that. What do we do with that? Right? Let's say we recognize that we, we're kind of like very active, but there's really no progress, right? Not all activities progress. We know that principle, right? What do we do? What happens when we recognize that? Don't be afraid, guys. I'm not going to bite. Yeah, Nick. Say it nice and loud, Nick. I want to hear it. Okay. 
Okay. We come back to him, right? Remember, we're living before him. We, we can come back to ground zero, right? What else can we do? Let's say we recognize that a lot of activity, just, just, and we can just sense that God is no longer in the activity. Yeah, Brandon. Okay. Spending all that time activity, slow down and spend more activity in prayer, in opening our hearts, in communication with God. Good. Okay. Yes. Good. Anybody else? I love that word intentional. Yeah, Tim? Live for God. Set quietness. Ah. I love that word, recenter. Good word. That's one word, right? Yes, very good. We can kind of tell if we're if there's no more grace or there's no more like joy or there's no more enjoyment. Remember the three E's? We lose, it becomes like a heavy burden. It's no longer enjoyable, but now it's like I'm dra dragging, or and it's no longer we don't we no longer see the fruit of it, right? What is the most important thing in min What is the most important thing that we must have in what we do? What's the most important thing? Chelsea. Yes, the cross is definitely the vehicle. Yes. But maybe I'll clarify, what is the result of that cross? Okay, faith is part of the fruit of it, yes. Even more important. Yes, but what kind? what is the most important thing that we need in everything that we do? Josh? Yes, love, sure. But let me be a little bit more broad. The presence of God. Yes, but no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. The presence of God. This relationship produces the presence and eternal work in what we're doing. Otherwise, we're just task-oriented rather than worshipers. So, all right, let's take a break. Let's take a break for 10 minutes. And then we'll come back for uh, the anatomy of temptation. Okay? Awesome. All right, let's look at First Peter for a minute. Andrew showed me this verse, and it really kind of sums up everything, uh, the three E's that we just talked about. But again, so trials, they, they do something else in our life. They actually, they remove things. It brings awareness of things that need to be removed, and they also renew us. Okay, so I want to look at these two principles here as we look at temptation. But look at 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7. It says, um, all right, 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7 it says, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various or multiple trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believe, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. I love that. That's a great definition for wisdom. You're receiving the result or end of your faith. So I want to think about something as you look back in James with me. Um, We all strive for authenticity, right? And I I think uh, that's something that you cannot um, project in. Oh, hey, Tyler. Good to see you. Um, It's something that God has to express through you. It's not something that you can fake it, right? And nor should we try to be someone that we're not. But in our relationship with God, he shows us who we are in him. And therefore, the work becomes a work of God, not a work of man. Right. That's why each one of you have gifts and a portion that the other doesn't have. Right. You are unique. Thank God we are unique. Right. So trials, they're going to show us something. They're going to bring to awareness of how fragile we are and how much we need God. And that's a very important awareness. Because if we forget our need for God, then we enter into self-reliance. And certainly um, we have an overestimation of ourself and we can get into trouble. Okay, but look at this in in James. The anatomy of a temptation is really uh, important to understand because... We should never trust ourselves, right? Now, the struggle is real, right? Life is like a jungle. There's stuff coming at us. There's suggestions, which is a temptation. It's a suggestion that is opposed to God, okay? Temptation, right? To entice, to bait and switch, to kind of, hey, come on over here. Let's have a conversation. Leave your place of fortification. Leave your place of of fellowship and enter into this other place where we can become exposed. We can become vulnerable. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 10 talks about an argument that is above the nature of God. Cast down every vain imagination and every high thing. Let's read it. Second Corinthians 10. Let's read it out loud. Any high thing, any high thing. This is where we see the word temptation, okay? So we know that trials add, temptation subtracts, okay? It's designed to trap you and I, to create a snare. A snare is one of those things that when a bear steps into a snare, it's that metal a uh, piece with jagged edges, and when he puts his foot into it, it comes up and it just cuts into his leg. And he cannot get it off, okay? Uh, it's very excruciating, okay? And this is what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to ensnare us into temptation. All right, who wants to read 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5? Go ahead, Ryan. Okay. 
Now, how many times have we read that verse? Thousands, right? Notice it carefully, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Notice it really carefully. It says this, um, casting down. You see that? Like we have to take every thought captive by spear point, as it's there in the Greek, to hold it hostage, any argument or high thing that it exalts itself above God. Fear, for instance, is something that is trying to exalt itself above God's faithfulness, right? Doubt or accusation, maybe the devil is accusing you or suggesting to you something outside of your identity in Christ, okay? We have to say, no, I'm not going to think that. No, I'm not going to be led away. No, I'm not going to trust myself, right? If I know there's a weakness in that area, definitely don't want to entrust ourselves in willpower for sure, okay? Because what happens? This is the anatomy right here. Let's look back in James. Uh, But each one who is tempted, in verse 14, when he is drawn away, okay? That's the first step. By his own desires. Again, the devil knows our buttons. The devil knows where we're the weakest. We don't want to be there negotiating with the devil and trying to defend ourselves. We want to cast it down and then... fall into not only the knowledge of what we have, but the action. We want to have faith be our confession and faith to do the talking. Like like uh, Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Did he sit there and have a conversation with Potiphar's wife? No. He, fl- he ran away. He fleed, youth- he fleed youthful lust. Is that, is that good English? I'm not sure. Okay. All right, let's look at this for a minute. Uh, but his own desires. Now, this is this is very interesting. You and I, John, uh, Jeremiah 17, we do not know the depth of our heart. So I'm not going to sit there trying to discover my heart, right? Some things are very simple, right? You run. Run into the presence of God, <laughs> right? We're not sitting there trying to figure it out because we'll, that snare, that snare, it's that big metal piece will chunk right into your leg. So it's like spring-loaded. You step on it, it goes, and then you're stuck, right? So that moment, by stepping into something and the thing coming around and crunching your legs, in that moment, we want to have a, an action that says we are, uh, we are going to run into the arms of God. We're going to run into the body. We're going to run into the word. We're going to run into prayer, okay? Um, so notice, I want to read this. When desire has conceived... now. I want to say this, struggling is not sin, okay? This is an important point. Struggling is not sin. If you're struggling in an area in your mind or your heart, it is not sin unless you act on it, okay? That's an important point. Now, I don't want you sitting there and entertaining something because eventually what you think is what will be produced in your heart and in your action. So the struggle is real. But the struggle, remember, God is saying, listen, this is an area of your life that I don't have full control over. This is an area of your life that you are preserving for yourself. This is an area that I want to have dominion in. And then we say, okay, God, Revelation 3.20, you're knocking on my door, and I am surrendering it to you. Now, 
the issue isn't sinning, and, and don't misunderstand me here, the issue is how quickly I agree with God when I sin and I get back up and rebound, right? Repentance is really a work of God in, in Romans 2.4. So let's say the struggle happens, there's failure. Immediately we say, okay, God, I agree with you, 1 John 1.9, stand back up, get back up, and walk with God and make no provision for the flesh, Ephesians 4, 20, right? My point that I want to bring out here for the anatomy of a temptation is the strength of sin is in any area of my life that I have not surrendered to God. That's where the strength of sin is. It's in any area of my life that's not been given over to God. Any area of my life that's not been given over to God will be where my desires hijack me and you. So let's be honest. We have all have areas like that, and in no way are we condoning those areas. But in trials, God will show you and I our frailty. And then he'll show you what he needs to remove. And look, look what he says here. Let's look back to James. <clears throat> he gives instructions that in the trial, he is working in us, in verse 19, a swiftness to hear, a slowness to speak, a slowness to wrath. Okay, God is like reducing us to himself. And that's awesome. Right? John 3.30, he is increasing, and the direct result is we are decreasing. So God is working in this action that we're not angry, retaliatory. We're not uh, a, a raving, yelling lunatic. God is saying, I am slowing you down so that you produce my righteousness, okay? Now, look at verse 21. So the trial is teaching you and I to lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, okay? Now, I'm not here, I don't, I'm not here to know about your sin, and no one should be interested in knowing everyone else's sin. That's not the issue, right? Our message today is not a... Um, it's not a reactionary gospel, which means uh, stop sinning. Okay, that's not our message. The more I stop, the more I try to not sin, the more we'll sin, right? Because the strength of sin is in the law. What's our message? Our message is not a sin message. It's a son, sonship, right? Or son. We are focused on son who is now changing our appetite and changing our desires. So how do we lay aside all filthiness and wickedness? How do we do it? How do we do that? Talk to me. Surrender. Surrender. Yes. One of the most powerful words in the Bible. Hebrews 12.1. Lay aside means to surrender those things. Just say, God, it's yours. They surrender with a faithful heart as well. Yes. 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 Well, let's say the first step, surrender. Just say, God, it's yours. Let's say I have an alcohol problem. God, I want to drink alcohol, by example. But I surrender it. And God says, I'm not going to change your behavior. I'm going to change your heart. And then all of a sudden, I hate alcohol, literally, right? Or we could gambling, or power, or women, or men, or... 
God says, I'm not going to change your behavior. I'm going to remove the appetite. It's awesome. And this is where true, true rehabilitation happens, right? Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive. Okay, so there's an exchange. I'm giving you my garbage. We are receiving Ephesians 4.24. We are receiving and putting on the new man. With meekness, the engrafted or implanted word, which is able to deliver you. So there are things in our life that harass and can constantly, constantly badger us. So there's what's called the thorn of the, the thorn of the flesh, where in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul was like, listen, release me from this thorn. And Jesus said, no, my grace will be sufficient as you're being conformed to my image, right? So God will, God will remove some things in your life, and then God will also renew us with the things that remain in our life, okay? Paul's major thorn was pride, self-righteousness. God says, I've got to keep that in your life to keep you humble, to keep you reliant on me. Now, I'm not saying we're going to blame every sin in our life based on the thorn. Don't misunderstand me. But there are some things that don't leave <clears throat> for that purpose. Okay? And that's another message. And that's a very interesting message. Make sense? So our message is don't is not, our message is not don't sin. Our message, okay? You see, you know. Does that make sense? I don't want to misunderstand. Today, our message is respond to the sun, and the sun changes your appetite where we sin less and less. Okay? Let me show you. Okay, let's go back here for a minute. And it's the, it's the work of God that is doing it. So this is what he says in 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers of your hearers only, deceiving yourself. So now... This happens with, with the anatomy of a temptation. It's like, if my flesh is in the driver's seat, let's be honest, if your flesh is, let's say you're watching a movie or you're in a situation with carnal people and your flesh is being stirred up, that's a good indication that you gotta, you got to change locations or you got to get with God and say, Lord, I just run to you, surrender to you, and I put on the new man and I'm going to be a doer, an actor of our faith, and not just someone that is talking, right? All right, so we see this here in 22, right? A person that is, let's read that together. But, do, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. Why are we deceiving ourselves? Why would we, if we're just a hearer and not a doer, how would deception creep in? How would deception creep in? Zoe. That's okay. How, if I'm just a talker and not a walker, if I'm, if I'm just a, a hearer and not a doer, how does deception come into my life? What is it about us that can enter into deception? You become prideful, false doctrine, yes. 
What about our nature? What is it about our nature that leads us in deception? What do we always choose? What? We do choose our sin nature. We, we choose what we want. That's the bottom line. Our natural nature chooses the flesh every time. So, we deceive ourselves if we're just talking, 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 and not walking, walking, walking. This is what James is saying. As you walk in your faith, it is something that renews you. It restores you. It it uh, revives you. Does that make sense? Let me show you this. It says, look what he says here. He says, it's like a man observing his natural faiths in a mirror, and he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. Immediately forgets. Now, how many times have we been in a situation where temptation is right in our face, and there's a word coming from the Spirit that's talking to you? Anybody? Hopefully all of us, right? The word that we've hidden in our heart will speak to us again in John 14, right? We'll bring to remembrance everything that we've hidden in our heart, right? But if I don't have that word, then I'm going to forget. And I'll be also in a place uh, and taken hostage potentially, right? He forgets what kind of man he is. That's what temptation's end game is, okay? Very important. All right. Identity. Well, one thing that we do in counseling a lot is, especially with men, I work with men in this regard, is we encourage men to be built in a grace identity. Temptation is to lead you away, lead me away from my identity in Christ. Because Satan knows when a man or woman knows who they are in Christ, the lie is exposed and it's less likely that we'll be lied to. Does that make sense? So temptation is not something to play with. It's like fire. You play with fire, you get burned. Fire is beautiful in the right place, but in the wrong place, it burns the house down, right? Same principle, right? I want to have a healthy fear and not forget who I am, and who you are. All right, what are we saying here? Talk back to me. What, the anatomy of a temptation, what do you do when the devil comes knocking on your door? Newpool, you're active. Let me, you're awesome. Uh, let me get some other people here. Chelsea, what do you do? Vanessa, what do you do? Run, okay, good. What if you can't run, what do you do? Hi, don't you? <laughs> good, that's good. Olu, what do you do? I like that. Okay, good. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. That is what we answer the door with, right? The devil cannot resist the Word of God. Josh, what do we do in temptation? What do we do? Break down the relinquish and receive, like let go of some things and let go of other things. So that we're 
let go of the filthiness or the mm -hmm. surrender. Okay. I love that word. You know, think of think of it like this. Here, here's temptation, right? And here's you and I. Who is fighting that battle? Who is fighting that battle? That's, that's the key to victory. That's 2 Corinthians 2.14. If God is fighting that battle, then temptation will no longer have power over me. If I am fighting it, then guess what? It will win, right? Because the devil is too powerful for us. Look at Hebrews 12.1 for a minute. Let's look back here. So maturity is determined not in the lack of sinning, but in how quickly we respond in sin. Okay? That makes sense? The righteous man falls, right? How many times? Seven. But what happens to the wicked man? He stays down, right? All right. Uh, who wants to read Hebrews 12.1? So remember, this is not behavior modification. It is God is changing our heart. He's changing our heart. That's why today we are not who we were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 1 year ago, 3 months ago. Hopefully, last week, hopefully we're, God's done something in our heart, right? 12.1 of Hebrews. Ray, you want to read that? Can I get you going on that? Yep. Okay, good. That's good. Okay. So I love this. We run, we hide in him, but we look, right? We're looking unto Jesus, looking away unto Jesus, right? Let's say we're having an emotional mutiny. It's a bad day, but we're looking away from ourselves. We're not trying to manage ourselves. We're not trying to manage the temptation. But we're looking unto Jesus, right? And he does the fighting. He does the resisting, right? This beautiful verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. What does 1 Peter 5, 7 say? We submit to God and he is resisting the devil. What's our job today? Submit to God. What do we do in temptation? Submit to God. What do we do when, when we're having an emotional breakdown? Submit to God. Like, God, I'm looking to you. I'm not even trying to fight or figure out what's going on, but you're removing something. Maybe God's removing a generational curse. Maybe God's removing a genetical, something genetical, genetical tendencies. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. Okay. We have just a few minutes. Let's look back in James together. Isn't this so edifying? So we never fight the flesh, right? What is the only battle we're supposed to fight? Yes. And what does that mean? 
What does that mean? Fight the fight of fight the fight of good of faith. What does that mean? When you hear that, what comes to your mind? Andrew, did you say it or? Yeah, talk to me. You gave the right answer. Why is that true? Okay. Let's help him out. Fight the good fight of faith. Okay. Okay, so you refer to a great chapter, right? So if I was to go to war, and maybe Josh could share with us since he's been in the arena, you don't go to war with a squirt gun, right? You go to war with the right equipment, right? You're going to... What is something you don't you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? Not that we have any experience about that, but <laughs> we fight the good fight of faith, which means exactly what Lenin's saying. We are using the right tools from the right source, and we'll have the right result. We really, if I'm fighting my flesh, what am I doing? I'm beating the air, and it's me and you fighting a supernatural uh, kingdom. But instead, we're hiding in Christ, and Christ does the fighting. And we have Ephesians 6, the armor of God and the weapons of God, right? This is really something that's important to kind of get a hold of. All right, let's look back in James because we have to close up. Notice this, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and this is, this is our provision for temptation. The devil is saying, you know you want it. You know you deserve it. You know you need it. He'll 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 bait you till you're till it's so convincing. And what are we doing? We're looking away into the perfect law of liberty, the Bible. We're we're getting in the body. We're getting alone with God. And what happens? And continues and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. This is one who will be blessed in all that he does. So I want to show you one last thing here because he brings up something very provoking here in the last few verses. If any among you think he is religious, okay? Now, what is the environment that's going on in this time? What's going on when James is being written? What is happening in the church? What's happening? Revolution, yeah. Persecution, right? It's not a happy day. Everyone's not in their Sunday best, right? Sitting in the pew all happy. It's difficult. There's a lot of, tr there's a lot of trouble going on. If any of you think, uh, think he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. Again, he's talking about deception. And I want to go into deception a little bit next class. But literally, Christ on our terms will always lead us to deception. Always. And I want to I want to bring this up because I feel like uh, where'd my eraser go? I think this is kind of an important point. That word religion, 
It's a scary word. But here, he shares something with us. So, religion, okay, is Christ on my terms. Okay, it's a couple things here. It always defines people uh, based on sin. Okay. Uh, thirdly, it um, it is it is man's interpretation of absolutes, and this is really I'm writing a book on this. This is really worth a lot more time than we have. But religion is exceptionally dangerous. Okay. But the religion he is talking about, let's read it here because this is worth it. If any man thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this is one's this one's religion is useless. Okay, but pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans, widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Okay, let me bring up and we'll do some Q and A here in a minute. This word religion literally refers to actions from a heart of worship. Okay, the word is threskos. T R. Let me just spell it. T H R E S K O K O S. Okay, and it literally means action from a heart of worship. Okay. That is what's called pure religion. Okay. Man's religion is Jesus on my terms. I will deceive myself every time if I don't have absolute tr truth to guide me. Why? Because we'll find the least path of resistance. We'll always avoid the cross. We'll always do it our way, right? But he's saying pure religion or useful religion, really, I don't like that word, if I could be honest with you. It's an action from a state of devotion. Do you see the difference? Now, when you look at religion, religion's always based on I do, I do, I do. I do the ceremonies, I do the chanting, I do the rituals. I do all of the, the vain repetitions to be accepted. And the world is full of religion. I mean, the world is full of broken people. From religion, from that's being religious or useless religious religion. But we don't have a religion. What do we have? We have a relationship, right? A relationship where our number one point is to know God. Our number one point is to uh, to reveal an invisible God and make Him visible. So isn't that interesting? So. We don't do what we do to get God's favor. We have God's favor already if we do nothing. We don't, God is, God's love and care and mercy and grace does not have potential. It does not intensify. But it is actual, which means it's as, it's as strong and uh, powerful as it ever could be in whatever condition or state that we're in. And he brings up a very good point here is that our religion is based on a devotion, an action of devotion. So we're not deficit, we're not trying to, we're not trying to appease God, right? We're not trying to appease him. That's what religion does. If man in his best state 
God will be like, hey, you're pretty good. I'm good, you know. That's another thing. Religion is based on man. The greatest lie of religion is that man is good. That's the greatest lie in, in history. The truth is God is good. And in Hebrews 7, 7, he blesses man. Hebrews 7, 7, my favorite verse. The superior blesses the inferior. Good verse. So our relationship today isn't me being good enough for God to love me. God loves me regardless of who I am. And therefore, what I do is an overflow of that relationship. Does that make sense? So I feed the poor. I, do, I walk, care for the, the widow. But I keep myself from the world. All right, you guys have been awesome. I know it's 10 o'clock. Does that make sense? So this is a trap that we'll talk about more. Me doing for God. That's just a trap all day long. But my ministry is I get it. Look at this. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is our ministry right here. Ready? Matthew eleven twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Who wants to read that? Tim, go for it. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Okay, so come, take, and learn. There it is. That's the Christian life. Come, take, learn. Well, what about the ministry? What about my call? What about the action of our faith? Oh, it'll all happen. If you get these three things right, the, the outcome is inevitable. All right. Any comments or any last comments or questions? Does this make sense? All right. Yes, Chelsea. Did you say that religion, Christ's love, Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus on my terms. That's why the social gospel is a disaster. I just had a... Anyway, you've got to get me going here. I had a conversation this weekend with a, with, a, with a gentleman, and it was all social gospel. I said, can we talk about Jesus? About 10 minutes into this, I can we talk about Jesus? And this guy was a pastor. Can we talk about Jesus? But... What, who are you and what denomination? What do you think about this? I'm like, Jesus? Talk about Jesus? Jesus on my terms is a disaster because I will always make Jesus the way I want Jesus to function in my life. All right, let's, we've got five minutes. I know you're ready to go. Talk to me. What are, what's the anatomy of a temptation? What is it? What is it? What's that? Okay. Temptation is taking, right? But what's the anatomy? What did we say the anatomy was? What's the infrastructure? What does it do? Draws me away. And then what? It's a snare, right? Yes. Takes us away, removes us from our place. We all of a sudden, our desire becomes our chief 
objective to fulfill. And then there is what? Death. Spiritual death. Right? We're separating separation from God. By the way, when we sin, do we lose our salvation? We don't. Why? Why? Talk to me. I, I hear somebody raise your hand. It's what? It's all paid. Good. Good. What do we lose? We lose fellowship. Good. That's important. All right, what else do we got? What else are we pulling away from this class tonight? Trials, they, what do they do? The two R's. Remove, yeah, and renew, good. God is saying the result of your trial is you're going to be brand new. You're going to be reduced to my image. It's going to be incredible what God produces. And lastly, and I want to spend some time with this next class, religion. What do we say that, that this word means? Thrust cost. What is that? What is that pure religion? What is that? Because we've met we've met religious people, but they're dead. Yes, Nupu? Yes. Action from a heart of worship. It's a whole nother ball game when. You're in devotion and love with God, and then you're now constrained by love, not debt. You're now constrained by love and not guilt. You're not shamed into action, but you're there saying, I just want to bless the Lord with all my soul, right? All right, Father, thank you for these students. Lord, we covered a lot of ground tonight. We just pray that you make something personal in their hearts. Thank you that we can look unto you and that you stand before us and you defeat every foe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, God bless you.